Welcome to the Perspectivalist. Our agenda is to offer a perspective of the world that allows you to think more clearly as a Christian. We want the normativity of scriptures to be the starting point of everything we do. Thanks for joining the conversation. This is Season 3, Episode 3, and I am your host, Yuri Brito. You can add your $1 contributions to the subscriber-only episodes where I delve into some side projects. Now, let me grant that I have not added that many episodes to that list, and I'm, I'm fully aware that you deserve some of my special care. I have been a very negligent father, so I have, as a way of making up for lost time, a few Q&A episodes to attempt to merit your love back. And so the next subscriber-only episode will deal with the, the mode of baptism. We'll take a few minutes to discuss that. And I think um, you'll enjoy what's ahead. I want to discuss essentially why we think uh, less water is more. So there is the teaser. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Perspectivalist Substack. The next update will give you a sample of all the goodness coming my way and a couple of exciting projects. I have around 200 subscribers. I would love to get to 250 by the end of February. Again, thanks for tuning in to this episode. Now, it may be just me and my friends, but I get the distinct impression that there is a monster underneath the bed of evangelicals. For a long time, no one paid attention to it. But if I understand the times... It appears it's coming out to play more and more. That monster is Gnosticism. Of course, it has always been around, but it is getting bolder. It's as if it gained its ego powers. Now, the definition I want to use of Gnosticism is one from my mentor, James B. Jordan. And every time I hear his name maligned, the more I fall in love with his work again. So go ahead and make my day. Now, these anti-Jordanian provocateurs are, are so tedious in their theological discourse that they don't even attempt to criticize the man with wit. They don't even have the minimal gravitas required for an actual critique. So I am going to continue my task of Jordanizing the world, which leads me to this point in that great work called Creation in Six Days, Chapter 4, Page 71, for those following the King James Bible, this is what he says. Gnosticism is the tendency to dehistoricize and dephysicalize the Christian religion. Now, let me repeat that for those of you in Lake Wobegon. Gnosticism is the tendency to dehistoricize and dephysicalize the Christian religion. Now, that quote is worth the price of the book. No, no. That quote is worth subscribing for $1 a month to the Perspectivalist podcast. Now, if you studied the early church, and if you're a student of history, this term is common. But at the same time, while it is used, it does have a heretical tone to it. But I'm not so sure the church realizes just how much Gnosticism is infecting her. Because the reality is that we all battle and struggle with elements of Gnosticism in our lives, whether we know it or not. Gnosticism is quite pervasive in our thinking. Consider the very root of the word, the Greek gnosis, which means learned or knowledge. Who doesn't want knowledge? And we all desire to be learned. But the root question is, what kind of knowledge were the Gnostics after? What kind of learning were they seeking? And the Gnostics were after the knowledge that was esoteric, the knowledge that was distant, 
knowledge understood by a select few. It was a, a special type of knowledge. And this special type of knowledge would bring them salvation. What kind of salvation? Salvation of the soul from a material world. Salvation of the soul from a material world. Because for the Gnostics, the world was created by this demiurge. Right? This demiurge was a kind of a producer, a, a creator-type figure. The Gnostics didn't believe in the triune God as the creator of the world. Instead, they believed that the world was created by this monstrous demiurge. And because they believed this demiurge was evil, therefore creation was evil. Now, we could spend some time talking about the myths that regarding the origin of demiurges, but I want to focus on the philosophy, the theology behind it. Because there are actually many Gnostic groups, and they all have a different understanding of who Jesus was. Some, in the early part of the church history, post-AD 70, some claim that he was merely a human who attained gnosis. Some claim that Jesus attained this secret knowledge and we are to follow Jesus because he learned how to abandon the body. He was the one who freed his soul from the material world, a, almost a, a kind of ancient Buddhism. For Gnosticism, the only way to escape this world of matter is to abandon matter, to abandon the material, and to seek this abstract inner knowledge of the soul. The body is just a prison for the soul, and the soul can't wait to rid itself of the body. And the more we forsake the things of this world, the more spiritual we become. So Gnosticism is turning away from the material world. It says that the world was not given to us for our pleasure, but it was a form of a necessary suffering, a necessary evil. The world is a form of mini purgatory, and only when we find an escape from it will we get away, exit our bodies from this purgatorial existence. Our only true vision is one that looks to heaven, looks to a different world. And the earth is just a necessary evil to get us there in the streets of gold. Now, historically, Gnosticism denied the Christ of the Bible. Christians have rejected Gnosticism, and they have stated unequivocally that it is a heresy. The church has rejected this in many statements, many creeds, which is why it's important to talk about briefly about one of the major players in the Gnostic universe. One of the great Gnostics that ever lived, who was condemned by the church, was a man by the name of Marcion. And Marcion's movement survived until about the 5th century in a, in a formal way. But it lingers today in some unique ways, even in the church. Marcion denied the God of the Old Testament because that God cared too much about the flesh, about food, about fun. But the New Testament God, Marcion argued, was all about the spiritual realities that which cannot be conceived of under materialistic premises. The church rejected, rightly, Marcionism, but there's no doubt that much of Marcion's idea has become very prevalent in evangelical culture. Gnosticism, I argue, I have argued for decades, Gnosticism is not dead. The fact is that Gnosticism is more alive than ever in our world in the Christian church. And you may say, of course, but no Christian denies the deity of Jesus. No true Christian denies that God created the world, the triune God. No true Christian denies that the God of the Old Testament was the true God. This is true, of course. But let me push it a little farther here using James Jordan's 
definition at the beginning. How many Christians have bought into a dehistoricized, dephysicalized Christian experience, Christian religion? How many Christians have bought into an intellectualized faith that treats the gospel as some secret knowledge? That only if you read these particular books will you have a true grasp of the Christian faith. How many Christians have tried to separate the soul and the body in the way they think and live? How many Christians have tried to separate Christ from this world by saying that, you know, Christ is not really concerned about the things of this world? How many Christians affirm that God created the world while openly discussing how to escape it? More pertinent still, how many Christians deny a six-day creation? Let me rephrase that. A six-day literal calendar view creation. Christians today may deny Gnosticism as a system. They will rightly deny Marcion as an ambassador for their position, but they have and continually do so imbibe the Gnostic fountain daily. And this is why we need to continue to reform our lives, reform our culture, our thinking, our education. Let me get a little deeper here into the Gnostic weeds. I mean, take for example the innocent words of the old gospel hymn I used to sing growing up. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. You know how to finish this, the line there. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Now take that line and compare it to something like what God says in the creation account. And God saw that everything he had made in this world, and behold, he said it was what? Very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Solomon in the book of Proverbs says in chapter 8 that wisdom rejoice in his inhabited world. Wisdom delighted in the children of men. And wisdom here, of course, refers to God's joy of creation. And its ultimate sense, the fulfillment of all Solomonic word, is that it refers to the wisdom made flesh, Jesus Christ. Christ is the one who delighted in the world he made, and he delighted in the children of men. He delighted in dwelling that world. Or as Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy, that God is the one who gives us all things to richly enjoy. That we are to trust in him. We are to put our hope in him, not in earthly possessions, but in the God who gives us those possessions. Not in earthly possessions in and of themselves, detached from the God who created matter, but in the God who creates all matter. Make no mistake, the Bible cautions the rich not to allow their possessions to lord over them, but at the same time, God gives us all things so that we may learn that this is our Father's world. That we may steward the things he gives us well. The evangelical Gnostic tendency de-physicalizes the Christian faith. So that you can just go and read some books. Or think about this more popular hymn. And you can even sentimentalize it even more in by slowing it down. Which I will do now for special effects. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth, here it is, will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. This is about the temple I sang most of my 
young adult life. Now, what they're trying to say is that by looking to Jesus, the things of the earth like sin and worldly pleasures is just not going to have the same draw, the same attraction. Well, that's not how most people understand it who sing it. In fact, I remember hearing this hymn quoted by pastors who were preaching against the sin of drinking. In other words, the pleasures of this world are separated from Christ. It would have been more theologically accurate to say in that hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus and our perspective of earth will become clearer, not dimmer. Remember Jesus himself, Jesus, according to John 1, he created, he sustains the world. He gives us the world for our enjoyment. The incarnation, we could say, was a movement from heaven to earth. Jesus heavenified earth with his presence. I mean, think about how we pray on earth as it is in heaven. There's no biblical evidence whatsoever that suggests that we are called to escape this world unless we have an eschatology that is escapist at its very core. And so, ladies and gentlemen, perspectivalists, the reality is that evangelicals are Gnostics in more ways than imagined. Let me take it a step beyond here, shall we? I want to really show that this monster is no longer hiding under the evangelical bed. It's quite bold at night and even attempting to do sleepovers. Let's take worship as an example here. We tend, I'm in the Reformed tradition, we tend to marginalize the Pentecostals for being too emotional. But how does the Bible speak of God? God expresses emotions. These are not merely anthropomorphic details. No, the Bible communicates clearly. Now, some language, of course, indicate God stoops down to our weakness, as Calvin would say, but much of it is God speaking his word with enthusiasm through his prophets. The psalmists are not just merely using God's speech as metaphorical language. No, they're expressing God as he is. So the reform response typically is to avoid emotions. We don't want to express emotions because that would be a sign of weakness. Well, that's not the image we get from the scriptures. God actually commands emotions from us, especially in the area of worship. What does Paul say? Rejoice, I say, and again, I say rejoice. A command, an emotional command, an imperative, not optional. And you see this Gnosticism creeping in evangelical worship in this Overly contemplative, meditative, somber, serious. And the idea is that for you to have a dignified worship that is in truth, you need to avoid joy because that's just really Gnosticism creeping in. Another example of this relates to physical expressions in worship, which uh, James Jordan writes the following. Here's a great line uh, from the same book. Evangelicals hear God's command in Psalm 95, O come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel, but they don't do it. They only fall down and kneel inwardly. For some reason, they think that such inner kneeling is all God really wants. God does not care what our bodies do, it seems. Close quote. Isn't it true that we tend to internalize religion in the evangelical world? It's about how we feel. It's about our private time with Jesus. It's about our personal meditation. The only problem with this is that it's just not in the Bible. There's room for emotions, but emotions as they are defined in the scriptures. Not our individualistic expressions of our emotions, but the corporate emotions given to us in the scriptures. Does the Bible talk about meditating in God's word? Of course it does. But it says these things in a broader context. Internalizing religion or our faith is actually the opposite of what the Bible teaches. Why? 
Well, because the gospel is public news. And when we begin to view these internal actions as substitutes for the real, substantive, external call of God, we're becoming just good old-fashioned Gnostics without realizing it. You know, it's okay to have a Bible reading plan. I don't mind these things. They're helpful for personal edification, and they ought to serve the wisdom of the broader community. There is plenty of room in the position I'm articulating here for personal piety here. But the problem becomes when that becomes a means in and of themselves. I remember in college, many of my friends in the dorms would say that they would skip Sunday worship. Why? Because they already had their, quote, quiet time, as they called it. Well, I be with God's people. I've already sought after this secret knowledge in my prayer, in my devotions. Why rub shoulders with other Christians? I have already done my duty, or in our own day, why do I need to be in worship, present in flesh, when I can stream it in the comfort of my home? Well, that is the 21st century version of Gnosticism. So how do we avoid Gnosticism? Just a few observations here. There's much more to say. I think we need a good dose of creedalism. That's what we need. We need to be immersed in the creeds of the church. We need to believe it, confess it, teach it. It's a summary of our faith. The creeds were formed precisely to fight heresies like Gnosticism and man like Marcion. Let's be encouraged to practice a Nicene Creed in our homes when possible, to familiarize ourselves with the content of it. If you can sing it or chant it, even better. But second, we need to avoid the Gnostic tendency in worship. Gnosticism strikes most at the place God values most. Now we can come to worship at times half-heartedly, true? But the call to worship is a call to come. It's a call to come in body and soul, to prepare to do battle. And this means we need to begin to think about worship in holy war language. Worship is not just an exercise in piety, as I've written before. It is an exercise in war making. Worship is hard. When someone asks you, how is worship like in your congregation? You should answer them, it's like going to war. We hear war instructions there, and we fight the world with our weapon, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And finally, we need to lose this common refrain evangelical circle, relationship, not religion. It's probably one of the most absurd ideas I've ever heard. Religion means a group of people agreeing with a set of beliefs. That's why James says that pure religion acts on behalf of the poor, the widow, etc., because religion is a set of beliefs that lead to certain actions. But so many people like to internalize and privatize our faith. If you only have a relationship, then you can say, the only thing that matters is my relationship with Jesus. And what that does is it takes away from the responsibility we have to the body of Christ. If it's only about relationship, then no one can interfere in my faith. And this is the mentality I argue needs to be challenged. There's good intention that comes with it, but we need a restructuring of the way we think about the world so that Gnosticism doesn't creep in. No, it's not just about my personal relationship. It's about structure. It's about order. It's about decency. It's about liturgy. It's about people. It's about bread. It's about wine. It's about water. It's about joy. It's about babies, about creeds, about music, about psalms, and a lot more. And I believe the greatest response to Gnosticism in our day is the very life of Jesus. Our Lord Jesus, he laughed, he cried, he ate, he drank, he died a bodily death, he was raised bodily. And this is the latter point that's important here, because there are some who believe all these things except that Jesus was raised bodily. They believe Jesus was raised only as a soul, but the Bible affirms clearly 
in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. His body still bore the scars of his death and they still do so at the right hand of the Father. The resurrection is the Christian response to Gnosticism. Gnosticism reflects this internalization of the Christian life, a downgrading of the material world as evil from which we need escape and it diminishes the importance of creation. The gospel says the abuse of the material world is evil, not its proper use. The gospel says that our Father gave us a world full of joy so we might become a people of joy. Gnosticism, the tendency to dehistoricize and dephysicalize the Christian religion. We need a historical and a physical Christian faith to make sense of the world that God created. I'm your host, Yuri Brito. Thanks for tuning in, and may the Lord be with you.